The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Zach Childs, and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Rob McNelly, who's the 2014 ACM Guitarist of the Year and has mm-hmm. played with everyone from Delbert McClinton and Carrie Underwood to uh, blues great Buddy Guy. Welcome to the True Tone Lounge, Rob. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Cool. Well, uh, first, how, do, how did you uh, begin playing the guitar? Well, uh, I... Uh, my father was a musician, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I kind of came up around a bunch of musicians. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember specifically what happened that I ended up on guitar. I actually started on drums, but I couldn't stand being that close to that sound. Like every time I hit the drums, it, it, you know, so it was too it was too loud, too for intense you? for me. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I don't know. I just started picking up guitars that were around the house and yeah. watching people play and trying to figure out what they were doing and maybe having them teach me something here or there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just I was about eight years old and 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 uh, very impressionable and that's what was in my world, you know. So yeah. I just uh, started doing it. What kind of music did your uh, did your dad play? It was mostly country rock. Okay. Um, uh, he was in a band that was on Atco Records. That was um, wow. That w- they did some of their records down in Nashville, actually. I came to Nashville when I was a kid when they'd be working on records. Uh, Paul Worley produced them back in the day. Wow. Uh, the band was McGuffey Lane. They were a really big deal up in Ohio, which is where I'm from. Okay. Um, You're from the Columbus area. Right? Yeah, I'm from yeah. Columbus, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, they never co- quite... They, I think they might have had a couple songs that got up in the top 20, but they never, like, got over the hump and had the huge song so uh but yeah it was it was cool being around that there were a lot of interesting characters in and out of the house at, so uh, did you meet any of the you know atlantic at co you know people like jerry wexler or any any of those any of those guys well if i did i yeah. didn't know it yeah. at the time i was just too young to understand who yeah. they were i remember people coming in uh, from the record label and stuff, but but I remember you know people like Dickie Betts coming over to the house because they they would open for uh, the Almond Brothers. They would tour with them or Charlie Daniels Band. I met all the you know all of those guys in that band, like Tommy Crane, the guitar player that played right. on that stuff. You know, I'd I'd sit side stage and watch him play. You know, I thought he was really cool and uh, he is a fantastic guitar. I mean, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know. Uh, uh, I think we ate dinner at Charlie Hayward's house, uh, the bass player. You know, I mean, I, I was a kid. I was just yeah. around all this stuff. I didn't fully understand yeah. that this was kind of a big deal. It just was normal in a way. Yeah. Did, did When Dickie Betts came over, did he play or did you have any interaction with him? No. 
Uh, it was just some, some friends of your were, dad's coming over? You know what? These were just late night parties. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I get it. <laughs> I would wake up in the middle of the night and there'd be 20 people in the house, you know, okay. just, just doing whatever. And yeah. uh, the cool thing, though, is that there were always old guitars laying around because somebody would have a guitar on them and bring yeah. it and park it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, always uh, picking up somebody's Gibson Les Paul or whatever, you know, and kind of playing it. And I, did, I didn't know anything about what these guitars were, but uh, they were probably some pretty... I know they sounded good, and even I could play them so, and make them sound good. So uh, I, I guess I got accustomed to some of those kind of instruments early yeah. on. So what was your first actual guitar that was kind of yours? It was a 61 S. No, I take that back. I had a nylon string Hondo that I thought was really cool because it looked like Willie Nelson's guitar except brand new. Yeah, didn't have a hole in it. It didn't yeah. have the hole in it. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I, so he, he kind of became my first guitar hero because because of that. Yeah. But the first uh, serious guitar that I kind of, my dad kind of let me play as my guitar was a 61 SG Junior. And I mean, phenomenal guitar. But at the time, you know, it was still kind of thought of as like, well, this is kind of a, a student model guitar, I guess, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. only single pickup. And... Single pickup, yeah. yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. Right. So what was your, uh, did you, were you sitting in some with your dad's band? How did, how did you start playing in front of people? You know, actually, yeah, that is how it happened. Um, well, see, I learned guitar because I wanted to write songs. Because okay. my dad was more of a songwriter okay. than he was like a guitar player. And uh, uh, so I, I learned guitar. I just wanted to learn enough chords to write songs and stuff like that and kind of understand how to put all that together. So... Pretty much early on, I started writing right away. As soon as I learned a new chord, I incorporated that into a new song, you know. And I was probably, I was in like sixth grade at the time. Um, and I was writing all these songs. And uh, uh, when my dad's band would play like festival dates and stuff like that, they'd get me up to play like a half hour in front of them mm -hmm. and stuff, you know. And uh, so that's kind of my first live experiences yeah. not not many you know people indicate that they wanted to start songwriting especially at an early age what made you want to write songs that early um you know uh i think well it was i was 10 years old when john lennon died okay and i think that was a huge that had a huge impact on me i didn't even know who he was i didn't know anything about the beatles because at that point i was really only listening to uh you know, Allman Brothers, Charlie Daniels Band, Hank Jr., mm -hmm. uh, oh, you know, Merle Haggard, Elvis, you know, a lot of other things. Um, but when he died, uh, everybody I knew, including my dad, were so upset about it that I had to find out who this person was. And I kind of started digging through my dad's record collection and he was pulling out these Beatles records and oh well this is this is who that is. that's John Lennon and that's you know they wrote all these songs it's amazing you know amazing music that it changed everything and so I just went head first into Beatles and uh and the thing that struck me about all that was the songs and my dad was always writing songs so I didn't even really understand uh 
that you didn't pick up the guitar to write songs. I don't know. I, I wasn't exposed to like guitar player, guitar players that much, I guess. Um, so that's kind of what, what my inspiration really was at the beginning, you know. It wasn't until I heard Keith Richards, you know, that I that I wanted to stand up and play guitar, you know. So So what was your first band on your own? Not not sitting in with your parents uh, or your dad? Yeah, Powerhouse. It was the name of the band. Nice. Uh, and what kind of music it, did you play? It was our own music. I mean, it was just me and this other kid, and we just wrote songs incessantly. Like, we just did not stop writing songs. Wow. And I wish I still had the cassette tape that we had. We were so funny, man. We, we, we actually wrote pretty cohesive little songs, you know, with what we knew about the world uh, at the time. But I really thought we were going to make this cassette and then go down to the radio station, give it to them, and they were just going to play it on the radio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I still have, I, well, I don't still have the cassette. I wish I did. Uh, at some point, I got back in touch with the, the guy that, that I was writing all these songs with at the time and uh, gave him a copy of it, and his house got broken into. And for whatever reason, it was in a box of stuff that somebody stole, so somewhere mm-hmm. out there somebody has something that's worth a lot to me but maybe not anybody else but you know <laughs> i wish i could listen to that because I, I you know it was really so it's just a cassette that says powerhouse on there yeah i think it's got a rainbow label on it or something nice. like that i don't know yeah. that seems to be what i remember about it yeah so how did you you know how did you get from there to moving to nashville how did you you know how did that happen um well, I was in a series of bands. I mean, when I graduated from high school, uh, I was gonna—I was thinking about college, but not really seriously because I was playing in probably three or four different bands six nights a week. You know, I—I just—I guess I did everything that I thought I could accomplish up there in Columbus. Um, you know, I had a, I had original bands that w- I would book uh, gigs from Columbus to Miami, Florida, and you know, go just go be gone for like a month and just go down and do a bunch of dates and come back and and it was really you know hard going. I mean, not much money involved. Sometimes sleeping on picnic tables, sometimes getting, getting screwed over yeah, by club stiff. owners, and, yeah. and and you know, not able to afford to eat or whatever, you know. And uh, I had pl- I had a few friends uh, that had moved to Nashville and and were just telling me, man, you, you just need to come down here. Um, and uh, I, I, I started coming down and checking it out, and I moved here in August of 95. I can't believe I've been here that long, but uh, it, that's, that's when I moved down. Did you come with a gig, or did you come and no. then, and, okay. So so how were you making a living when you moved here? Okay, well, uh, what I did was uh, I I got a job at Ticketmaster. Yeah. Because I knew they had an office here, mm-hmm. and, I, and I figured I could transfer, and that all worked out. So I got here with a part-time job at Ticketmaster, and I would just go around and hit whatever jam, open jams were going on, and I just kind of very quickly met people, and pretty quickly, luckily enough, got a gig. So how did you get the first gig? Well, uh, I met the singer-songwriter that I can't remember her name now, Melissa somebody. 
And she was passing through town, and she kind of had this pickup gigs, you know, that she would just find musicians in that town. I don't know how she did it, because it was really before the internet was easy. I don't know how she connected with people she didn't already know. But, yeah. but she, she, I got this call saying, hey, can you play this gig with me in Nashville? And then she was going to play in Atlanta, Georgia the next night, and, and whatever musicians she had together fell through. So I agreed to go down there and play with her. And uh, I don't know if you know who this is, Tinsley Ellis. Uh, yes. he, he was looking for a band at the T time. Tinsley's a blue, blues guitarist. Yeah, blues guitar player. Yes. He was on Alligator Records Yes, and uh, at that time. And, and, and uh, he wasn't there, but his somebody, one of his best friends was there and said, hey, I think I, I, think I may have found somebody you need to call and uh i gave my number to this guy because uh, i knew who tinsley was and and uh I, I i think i think the next day like i got home at like you know six in the morning and my phone was ringing at 10 o'clock in the morning and it was tinsley wanting to talk to me and we set up an audition uh, a few days after that and uh then i was out on the road with him for a good while like about a year uh, yeah. So what was the next gig after Tinsley? Uh, gosh, it's hard to remember. Um, I think it was, uh, I did I did some things with a singer on the NACA circuit for a little while, playing colleges, and uh, her, that was Jen Cohen. But then I did a, a gig with uh, Scott Miller of the V-Roys, I don't know if you remember that band yeah. from Knoxville. He was he was putting out solo records at this point, and uh, he he I went on the road with him for a little while, and then Allison Moore, um, which was fun, and and uh, um, I ended up uh, from there. I guess Winona for a short stint, and then uh, Leanne Womack. Leanne Womack. Yeah, Leanne Womack. Yeah. and then Delbert, and okay. and once I was in Delbert's band, I was there for. A, Really long time. About eight the years. when you started playing with you know, you know country acts that were on you know major labels. How did you get those gigs? Was that still by referrals or? Well, like for instance, when I when I played with uh, Winona, Tom Bukovac was leaving, and he recommended me, and I didn't take it seriously. I I just didn't think I would get the gig. I I heard about all the guitar players that were going to audition. I just I just assumed there's no way I'm going to get this gig and. And I went in there and auditioned, and uh, just because I I felt like I needed to see what that was like, just to go audition for a gig, and uh, and they called me back for another audition. I I was just like shocked. I just thought, well, there's no way it's gonna happen. I'll go, and I wasn't sure that I was the right fit for the music anyway, and uh, I guess it all kind of came through Bukovac. You know, he must have talked me up and made me sound amazing or something. So how did, how, did you, how did you meet Tom and how did he know you're playing well enough to recommend you? I met Tom uh, at Third and Lindsley. I was just playing probably with a blues band or something. And uh, I don't know, we just hit it off, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really hear him play uh, until uh, like he invited me over to his house just to hang out and stuff and we were, and of course, you know, he picked up the guitar, and and I, and I was just like, okay, this is this is what a real guitar player really sounds like. Like this, this is the best musician I've ever sat 
in the room with and just listen to him play, you know, other mm-hmm. than going to a concert or something like that. Right. And, you know, he just really, I don't know, man, we just got along and he, he was really good to me. He just really kind of uh, helped me think about different things uh, than I was thinking about musically or gear, about gear or guitars. Or well, what are some things that he kind of helped you out with? Uh, like, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, uh, your tone more seriously. I mean, I, I just always played. I was just plugged into an amp and played. I mm-hmm. didn't think too much about that stuff. It just either sounded good or it didn't. So, I mean, he just got me thinking about things like, okay, well, if you're, if you, if you're going to play any gigs around here, you're going to have to have like a, a, a pedal board that makes sense and things like that. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he just kind of made me see that you had, you know, took me from thinking about everything like a bar gig to thinking about, oh, okay, I've got to be well versed in more things guitar wise than just that if I'm going to make a living doing this, you know. So. So you played with Winona, you played with Leanne Womack, and then how did you get the gig playing with Delbert? Well, um, Todd Sharp was his guitar player at the time, and he started um, having me fill in for gigs when he couldn't make it. So that's how I met Delbert. Um, I met him about a half hour before we were going to play together the first time. No, you know, no rehearsal. Just that's how that gig kind of rolls. There's no set list, which I love about it. It mm-hmm. just kind of he calls the songs and. And you play the songs. <laughs> How did you prepare for that? Uh, I think they sent me a, a, a live CD uh, from a board tape or something. And uh, then days leading up to it, different band members would call me and tell me, oh, there's this other song you should know. Yeah. Oh, that, you check this out. You know, I mean, even up to 10 minutes before the gig. Hey, do you know this song? No. You know, oh, well, we got to listen to that because we're going to, I bet we're going to play it, you know, and I'm listening to it, you know, I mean, it was just, uh, but I really, I really like uh, that challenge and being under that kind of pressure sometimes because uh, it just, it just makes you go, you know. So, so by the time uh, you you moved to town and you started kind of getting a rig together, so what was your your rig, you know, like guitar and amp wise, you know, when you were playing with Winona to playing with Delbert, you know, what were you kind of using? Okay, well, with Winona, we were using the pod. Like, oh my goodness. Maybe before yeah. it even came out. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we were using like some kind of prototypes or something, something I didn't know anything about at the time and, and really kind of still don't. Uh, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of what we were using there. That was a, that was a challenge mm-hmm. for me at the time, um, but with Delbert, I loved it because I didn't really need a pedal board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just uh, would grab an overdrive pedal, usually an Ibanez Mostortion, okay. and set it up on top of my amp. I didn't even have it out on the floor. I just, if I needed to turn it on, I just go back there and turn it on and play. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was great. And that came about through fly gigs because when we would do a European run or something like that, it, I just, it was after 
So you couldn't get a pedal board from here to there without somebody taking it completely apart. And, and I just remember looking down at a pedal board that was completely disassembled when I got to wherever we were and just going, I don't even use this stuff. I use a tuner and an overdrive. So why, why am I carrying this thing around, checking it, paying extra baggage fees and all this stuff? And, you know, so I just, uh, for, for all that time, I just kind of used an overdrive pedal and a tuner. Yeah, and so what were your uh, guitars and amps with uh, Delbert? Oh, well, uh, I had my Centelli, which is here today, yeah. um, that he built me. I use that a lot. Um, I have a, I have an old Barney Kessel Gibson that I would take. Nice. Um, God, I used, uh, uh, I, I, I used all kinds of different things. I kind of would switch it up a lot, you know. And the amp wise? Amp wise, uh, I started out with an Ampeg VT40 which was entirely too loud. That's kind of the Todd Sharp rig at the time. Exactly, yeah. because, well, when I filled in for him, I would just use his rig. I'd just come out with a guitar. Right. And because, just use whatever he had there. Yeah. Which was a VT40, yeah. which sounded amazing. But they're loud. They yeah. are really yeah. loud. It's, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and, and when I got into the band, uh, when Todd left, Delbert called me and, and I, I tried using the VT40 that I had bought, but it, it, it just didn't work and, this, and his music was kind of going in a little bit different direction once I got in the band. So I ended up using Blackface Fenders and a, I think mostly I used like a, a Tweed Deluxe and a, and a uh, Blackface Deluxe Reverb yeah. together. So both yeah. at the same time? Yeah, yeah. You know, neither one of them up really loud. You know, yeah. sometimes if I didn't want to use the overdrive pedal, I'd just turn around and turn up the volume on the deluxe, the Tweed Deluxe, just yeah. to get a little more. So were those using the blackface and the Tweed? Was that kind of compensate for each other to get kind of uh, one sound out of both amps together? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just I just like the sound. The Deluxe blackface deluxe reverb wasn't quite loud enough but it had reverb which mm -hmm. i which i liked on a lot of the stuff that we were doing and you know it's like uh the the common yeah i mean getting that mid growl from the tweed deluxe mixed in with the cleaner blackface thing uh, i just always like that yeah. that's you know it's one of my favorite combinations really nice and so then from from delbert how did you uh how did you move on into doing session work mm. well Delbert was starting to play less, and I never, ever entertained the idea of doing sessions. Okay. I just, uh, I don't know why, I, did, I didn't ever think about it. And uh, a friend of mine from a publishing company, Cliff Audridge, uh, started saying he, he wanted to try and get me in on some sessions and stuff. And, and Del, you know, Delbert playing less, I was in town more, so I was available to do things like that. And uh, he he came through on that. He, he called me for a session. I, I don't even remember what the session was. Um, but it, I, it just quickly snowballed for me. I didn't, I wasn't planning any of it. It just kind of happened. And uh, probably saved me a lot of frustration because I know a lot of guys really come here just to do that and they work really hard to do that and they're awesome players and amazing. And sometimes that can be, it can be hard to break in and, and somehow I just kind of got in there, uh, you know, 
which kind of allowed me to sound like myself a little bit more, I think, you know, uh, and getting hired for that instead of... um, Instead of being asked to mimic the guitar player that they wish they could have uh, had. (laughs) Well, I went through a phase of a lot of that when, you know, I mean, people always, there were a lot of last minute calls the first couple of years because somebody bailed or somebody, you know. That's the way it works. And, and, but I was completely unaware of how this all works politically or or any of the other things that go into it uh, that other people have to, other people thought a lot a lot more about or were more savvy about than I was, you know. So it just kind of happened. I, I yeah. Looking back, everything that's, that's happened for me has just kind of happened. I've never known what was going to be next. I just had my antenna up for something, and and it would, it would lead me, you know. Uh, that's what's worked so far, you know. Also... You know, concurrently while you were you know playing with Delbert and also getting into session work, you also continued you to do solo albums. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. you've continued to do you know, albums where you know you're you're the artist. Yeah. And you've, you, you've sung, wrote, and played all. Yeah. That. Yeah. And uh, and and I and part of that you know of course for a while there with with Delbert, I guess you were using some of his band as uh, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, one of the cool things about Delbert too was that. Uh, uh, I was uh, given the opportunity to uh, sell my CDs out of his merch table. And occasionally he'd, he'd offer me the opening slot on the road. And, and, and so there was a lot of really, he did a lot to kind of promote that. That's very generous. Very generous. I mean, you know, I, I can't, I could sit and talk to you for hours straight about all the things that I learned by being in Delbert McClinton's band. And from the band members that were in there. I what, mean, are the, just, what are the three most important things you learned from Delbert or the band? Well, uh, <laughs> that, you know, uh, the old school uh, showmanship thing of not having a set list and just being able to read the crowd and call out the next song uh, was something I was always, you know, really admired about him. And... uh so that was one thing, never knowing what we were going to play. And, and, and uh, the thing that I learned about musically in that band was uh, we would play those songs differently every night. It wasn't like the country acts where, you know, hey, no, we have to play this like the record. They're buying tickets. They expect to hear this just like the record every night. So uh, when you get in with a band, that's what it felt like. It just was a band. So, so um, my concept of groove and, and pocket and parts really, I, start, I feel like, came together through playing with that band. Because even though we weren't playing like jazz music, it was very much, a, we, our approach was that. Because we were very conversational and trying to listen to each other and dynamically play to each other and and you know, and, and when you've got a great singer like Delbert McClinton, it's easy to just back that up, you know. You want to hear him, you know, so you don't try not to cover him up. Uh, and the other thing I learned how to do was uh, play dice and gamble. <laughs> we did a lot of that on the bus. <laughs> so, you know, that was fun. There were, uh, there have been a number of, of uh, great players that have, you know, gone through uh, Delbert's band yeah. besides you and you know Todd Sharp. One of my favorites uh, 
Stephen Bruton. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So did, did you ever get to play with him or, 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 or be around him? Did he ever come out to Delbert shows in Texas? or? Yeah, well, Delbert does this cruise every year. And, mm-hmm. and so I was on that cruise uh, all those years, and Stephen Bruton was on all of them because they're really dear friends. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I ended up in situations in, like, maybe jam situations or where he would sit in with Delbert. And, uh, mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, Stephen was such a great uh, songwriter and guitar player. I mean, really had a interesting style. Uh, he's missed, you know, his spirit. He was just a great guy all around, you know. Yeah. The My introduction to Delbert's music was the uh, Live in Austin album that came out on Alligator in, yeah. the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And, and Stephen, you know, played on yeah. that. Yeah. And so uh, James Pennebaker, who also played with Delbert, yeah. And, uh, James was telling me that, uh, you know, that was just something where, you know, there was no rehearsal or anything that, and and Bruton was not playing in the band at that point at all. I mean, he yeah. was playing with Christofferson or someone else, and he just, you know, Delbert just had him come down. And that yeah. was, you know, for a, a TV taping and a live album, and it's a, yeah. it's a great album. It is. Well, that's the that's the thing about Delbert. I, I uh, Maybe we rehearsed a couple of times in the eight years that I was with him, and I don't even know why we rehearsed. We didn't accomplish anything in mm-hmm. those rehearsals. You know, he just, his music is, you can either play his music or you can't. Yeah. And all the rehearsing in the world isn't going to change that. And when you get on stage, he's not going to, adhere to the arrangement maybe he may come in singing right here and you just got you can't you know it it's just uh i love situations like that it makes a lot of people would be a very uh scared to risk all that on a tv taping but not delbert man he's he he's got full confidence of the people around him Mm -hmm. in the people around him he and that's 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 what that's all about, I think. So, and then kind of getting off the road with Delbert, you start kind of doing, I guess, you know, demos first, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then you, you you're getting you know in touch with you know you're working for songwriters and such. Yeah. And so, and how did you get from doing demos? What was your first master session? Well, I should backtrack a little bit because it was actually when I played with Tinsley. Okay, he was being produced by Tom Dowd at the time. Wow. And I got to work with Tom Dowd. So that was my first master session. I didn't, you know, yeah. I, I wish I could go back and uh, have that experience again because I knew who Tom Dowd was, but I didn't know the depth of everything. I mean, I knew all my favorite records that he had been a part of, but I didn't know. And he'd start telling Ray Charles stories and Aretha stories and all these, you know, Clapton John Coltrane and, yeah, stories. Um, I'm just sitting there just, oh, you know. So that that was my first master session. But I I, I think you're probably asking more about, like, in, in the context of, like, doing this for a living. Um, uh, you know, probably uh, it's hard for me to remember, but I think it was Randy Hauser's first record, um, I forget the name of the record, but uh, uh, probably the big song on there was Boots On. I played on that, um, played slide guitar on that. And, and then after that, it was probably the Lady Antebellum stuff with Paul Worley. 
And, and you had met Paul earlier because he had produced your, your dad's record. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, Paul, uh, you know, I don't know if he remembered meeting me when I was a kid, but I remember, I remember meeting him. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, we had met, we were aware of each other. He knew I was in town, you know, but he'd never really heard me play or anything, you know, and I, I really, I've never asked him how that all came to be, why he called me. Um, I mean, it's just probably word of mouth. I was playing on a lot of demos and had played on that, uh, Randy Hauser song. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, you know. But. So do you feel like, you know, with, with Randy Hauser and also with the Lady Annabellum, I need you now. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm guessing that that song, you know, also really helped your session playing a lot because that was a, a big hit and had, yeah. had a big solo that you had played on it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Uh, I played on Need You Now. Well, you know, th they had the one song before that that was the number one, Run To You, and, and uh and they were they were starting to work on the next record, and that was the Need You Now record. And they had they had, they had put out the single Need You Now, and it was it was kind of funny because I was in a lot of circles. I think I was still really unknown, so nobody thought nobody. I don't think anybody really knew it was me except people that were in the know about that band and mm -hmm. and all that. And I showed up on a session one morning, a demo for somebody. And that song was in the top ten at that point, and everybody was listening to it. And uh, and uh, she, came, you know, we we listened down to the song, and 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 we were walking out to track it. And uh, and I I put I just by chance it sounded like the the song that I should use my three fifty five on, and I played that. That's what I played on that song, and um. She came out with her laptop. She goes, "Oh, hey, uh, there's this really cool guitar sound uh, that I I want you to try and get for this song. Check this out." And she's playing it, holding her laptop up to me, and it's "Needs You Now." Yeah. And I'm sitting there with the guitar, the amp I played it through. Yeah. And and I'm kind of looking around like, "Is this a joke?" Yeah, you know. And and none of the musicians yeah. knew that that was me on the on that song. So nobody said anything, and I thought. I just I just went oh, okay like kind of like this and I played yeah. I played it and she and she was like that's yeah that's it that do that do yeah. that and I was like okay great and I just let it <laughs> Did, go so you never you never corrected her no her that you had, no you had played because on the hit that, no I wanted that, her to find out in her own time I know I, yeah. I don't even know who that was and I and I never I don't think I ever saw her again but yeah. uh, but then then shortly after that people really started finding out but I just thought that was funny that. You were, asked, was, you were asked to mimic yourself. I was act, asked to mimic myself, and I was playing the very, you know, guitar and everything. It was just kind of funny. I, I thought that was funny. You know? It is very funny. <laughs> so uh, you've continued to do, do session work. Again, like I would mentioned earlier, you got the 2014 you know, ACM yeah. Guitarist of the Year. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, and you've also done another solo record. Oh, band well. record. Uh, well, it's about to come out. Okay. It's about to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about it. Okay. Well, well, it's, um, you know, uh, I had actually been kind of inactive the last few years on my solo career, or I call it a career. What am I talking about? It's just the thing that I love to do. Uh, well, anyway, so what, what happened was uh, I started writing, I just 
I just found myself writing songs again. I guess I needed to do that. And, uh, you know, when you're working, when my session load got so heavy, I, I, I just didn't have any time. Or, or, you know, when I'd get home at night, it was like, I wanted to just listen to records, not play or anything, you know, so, but slowly these songs kept coming up in my head and, and I'd be getting ready to go to bed and they'd be like, okay, well maybe I should put that in my phone. And, and then when I would put it in my phone, there'd be, I'd just spit out half the lyrics and then it was like, oh man, okay, I'm in this moment. It's a good idea. Anyway, over time, I kind of looked back and I had all these songs sitting around that I, and I just felt like it was time to record them. I, as something was telling me, it was time to record them. So I did. And I've been playing once a month again with my uh, band at the Family Wash. And Which is a local club. Here local in club here in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, it's been great to do that again. I forgot how much I missed doing that. And uh, I'm so lucky to have the people in the yeah. band that I have. Who's in the band? Steve Mackey on bass, um, who's been one of my best friends for so long. Who's and also with, played with Delbert. Who, uh, who, yeah. yeah. And and I met by playing on with Winona because he was he was starting at the same time. Uh, uh, Jerry Rowe is on drums, mm -hmm. and uh, and Russ Paul is is playing with me, and. Uh, and Russ actually produced half the stuff that I'm putting out. Um, so, I mean, it's really cool. There's just, I, I don't know, I feel, I feel like there's just new uh, energy into creating music, you know, by having these people that I love around me to do it with. And I'm, I'm excited about it, you know, just, just, it's a good palate cleanser from doing sessions all the time, you know, and I, and I like doing it, you know, so I, I'm just gonna do it and see what happens, you know. You've also had another palate cleanser that I forgot to mention. You've mm -hmm. also been playing with Bob Seger. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how did, that how did that happen? Okay, well, uh, I got a call from his tour manager. Uh, I, Kenny Greenberg had done the gig a tour with him and uh they were gonna go do another tour and and uh kenny had started playing with kenny chesney and he may have given him my number i'm i i, I think that's what happened uh anyway i get a call and uh they they were wanting to come and hear me play and jim moose brown who lives here in nashville mm -hmm. plays a lot of guitar he's he's plays guitar in that band too and uh, Jim, we, Jim plays a lot of instruments. Well, Jim plays a lot yes, of instruments. Yes. Great guy. Yeah. Unbelievable musician. Current yes. uh, keyboard ACM uh, piano pl keyboard player of the year. Yes. He's just an unbelievable writer. You know, yes. I mean, he, yeah. I could talk forever about that guy. He's yeah. amazing. So anyway, uh, we set up a, a meeting uh, to for Bob to come fly down here and check me out for a day and um so, so what does that look like so did y'all meet like at a, at a rehearsal hall or? no we we went to moose's house out in the out in the middle of nowhere he has an awesome studio out there mm -hmm. so uh we went out there and they were just kind of like 
yeah, you'll probably be there an hour, you know, just, just, just learn, just, just know a few of your favorite Seeger songs. Yeah. And I'm from Ohio. I mean, I, I heard Seeger every day on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. so growing up and, you know, um, so I just kind of went there. I just, I didn't really like pick anything out and learn it per se. I just, I just listened to a lot of it in the days leading up to, to, uh, meeting him and he came out and he's, Bob's like this really excitable guy. He's super friendly and, and makes you feel comfortable right out of the gate. I, he's, you know, he's great. <laughs> and uh, and he just said, you know, we kind of talked for a while and then we sat down. And I mean, I was there, I think, for six hours. Um, just hanging out with Bob Seeger. And, and, you know, we'd talk a little bit, joke around and stuff. And then he'd, and then he'd be like, hey, let's play Turn the Page. Let me show you the finger picking pattern and Turn the Page. And he'd sit there and show it to me and, and he'd go, okay, let's play it, you know? Yeah. And so uh, kind of play it, you know, and, or, you know, just all day long, it was like, let's, let's listen to, uh, come to Papa. Let's, oh, let's play uh, night moves, you know? And I'm like this close to him with an acoustic guitar playing night moves and his voice comes, you know, back at me and I, I'm just getting chills. I mean, I, it was, it was an insane day. And I just thought, even if I don't get this gig, this was the coolest thing I've done in a long time. This is really a highlight. Anyway, finally, he, I asked him, he said that Jackson Brown was going to be opening some of the shows possibly. That didn't pan out. But I asked him, I said, wow, does he ever have David Lindley go out on the road with him? And he goes, oh, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but he's always got a killer slide play. Do you play slide? And I said, well, yeah, I, I can play slide. And he goes, Let's do like a rock. And and so we listened to it. And I mean, you know, we've all heard that song. Yeah, very iconic Rick Vito, song. Yes. I mean, played the one of the best slide solos in history, in my, uh, my opinion. And it, and, it was uh, used on a commercial. Exactly. So people, people have heard that song over and exactly. over. Especially the slide part. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I haven't played that song. So, I, you know, I, I haven't played that in so long. You know, it'd be cool to pull that one back out. And uh he goes, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Just learn the solo. I'll be right back in. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, I hope you take a long time to smoke cigarettes. But uh, yeah. So I, I started listening to it, and I, thought, I just always assumed it was probably in an open tuning. So I'm mm-hmm. sitting there trying to do detective work at first, just like, and it's in eighth. I think, it's, I think he played it in G, but I think they must have done some... Some, some something with the tape uh, to change the speed. It, it was because right. it's kind of more like in A flat. It's like, uh, and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, and I figure out, no, he's playing that in standard tuning. There's one little spot where he's the slide slips off the string and the open string that's on that uh, that you kind of faintly hear. I was like, okay, that's not an open tuning. You know, I'm sitting there trying to figure that out. He gets finished with his cigarette. He peeks back in and he's like, you got it? I'm like, no, smoke another cigarette, you know? <laughs> and Moose kind of went out there and was like, hey, man, I don't even know if you could, you know, ask. You know, I don't even know if you had Rick Vito here, if, if like, you know, I mean, maybe he remembers the solo, but, but you know, he might not even be able to, like, sit yeah. here and learn it in five minutes or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's very specific, and it's hard to learn someone else's thing that, you know, anyway... I just, I don't know. I just uh, kind of got as much of it together as I could. And he came back in. And he was like, okay, well, let's play it. 
And I'm like, all right, well, I think I got it, but I may not, you know. And he was like, oh, I just want to hear if you've got the feel, you know. And I was thinking, we'll play the whole song because that's what we've done all day. And he goes, I think the solo is after the bridge, right? I'll just play the bridge. He starts playing the bridge. And I was thinking, man, no, let's play through the whole song because then I can like kind of be thinking about the solo over those chord changes while we're, <laughs> you know. And uh, he says that I played it perfectly. I know I didn't play it perfectly, mm -hmm. but I guess it was close enough. And uh, he said, okay, that's really good. I'm going to come back next week, learn the second solo, and let's do this all again. And he came back the next week, another six hours of hanging out with Bob Seeger. And, and uh, that, that, you know, after having a week to work on it, I, I had all of it together. And, and uh, then I got the gig, you know. Yeah. So Was it a hard choice to go out on the road with him, knowing that you'd have to give up some session work to do that? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, you know, my star at that time was, I was really gaining momentum, the momentum that you hoped you'd get. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but they said it was only, the first thing I did with him was only a two-month commitment. So I felt like that was worth doing. And he was in the middle of starting to work on a record, and he was starting to hire me for the sessions for that record. Um, so I felt, I, I, I knew it would be a great thing. And then once I got out there, I really knew that I made the right choice because I'd been in the studio exclusively for a few years at that point and really kind of forgot that we make this music for other people. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget when, you, when, you're, when you're just uh, playing it in the, for the few people that are on a session and then you don't even know really what happens with it after you're done. Uh, being able to walk out on stage look people in the eye, play those songs that they've saved up all their money. This is a big deal to them to come to this concert and see this. Uh, it really reminded me that we do this, that people hear the things we do and live for it. I mean, you know, there's so many music fans out there. It's easy to forget when all you do is play in the studio. It's, it's a lot of fun to get creative and do all this stuff, but then you kind of go on to the next thing and you don't really see it affect people's lives. So that, that kind of yeah. came back. Playing with Bob, and of course, a lot of those records had, you know, were cut in Muscle Shoals. Yeah. And uh, so I guess you had Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carr and some other guys. What were, what were some of your favorite uh, lines to play from those classic songs that just, you know, you, you never got tired of playing? Um, uh, I really like playing... Uh, I really like playing uh, Turn the Page. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I really like playing the solo in um, Main Street. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I, I don't get to play the main lick. Oh, okay. uh, he do, the sax player does that now. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Changed it up a little bit. Yeah, well, that kind of came about long before I was at some time back in the 80s or something, you know. I don't know, I, I don't know the full story. I just know that at some yeah. point sax player start playing and I was disappointed about that because I always loved playing that line uh, I'd played that song in bands before uh, but man I, I, uh, let's see I love playing um, oh I love playing Night Moves you know there's something about that that song um, 
Because of the groove on it. The groove on it, the yeah. strumming pattern, the, the kind of, you know, there's something cool about playing that song live. I love Come to Papa, because that's kind of a funky thing, you know, and I don't know, I like them all, man. I mean, yeah. the catalog is so deep, you know. And so, uh, from some photos that, that I saw, it looked like you were using vintage gear out on out on the road, mm -hmm. like you were using old basement head. And, yeah. Yeah, and... Oh, that was cool that you would uh, take out some of your vintage guitars and yeah. and, and gear to uh, to you know get those tones out on the road. Uh, there's no other way to sound like that to, in my mind. Yeah, you know every everything else just seemed like it wasn't the right thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Did you need many effects and stuff with with uh, with Bob? No. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah, just a couple guitars, a small pedal board, and, and you had, what was it? Well, yeah. we did need a lot of guitars. Okay. <laughs> because he, he sings all the a lot of the songs in different keys. So I've got, okay. I think I had eight guitars out there on the road, all in different tunings. Okay. Because it was, you know, those riffs kind of work out of open E or yeah. whatever, you know, and like then, strut or something. Yeah. That's like in C. I think I play a baritone tune to C on that. You yeah. Know? And then when he's needing to sing the song maybe lower than he did before. Right. Or, or any, yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, very cool. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break and let's, uh, let's come back and, and talk about some of your guitars. Great. This has been an audio presentation by True Tone. TrueTone.com.